Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC football, the coaching search, a little bit of USC football recruiting. We're going to bring back a favorite uh, for the podcast. We got Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. He's been our national recruiting analyst at uscfootball.com for mm, almost two decades now, which is, seems absolutely crazy. But we got Gerard on the line. We're going to talk all about what's going on in the recruiting process, the coaching search, and all that. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Only three games left. Probably like five weeks or so left uh, in the till the early signing period, or not even that. Uh, but if you have any questions or comments for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll answer some of those today. You can also text or call us at 424- 254-9141. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app, please follow and leave a five-star review. And uh, we appreciate that because it helps to grow the show. We'll get Keely on back next week and we'll read your reviews and pick a winner and send you a $50 Trader Joe's gift card. They've been nice enough to give us a bunch of those for our listeners. And we take the best uh, Apple Podcast review every week and give them a $50 gift card to Trader Joe's. But without further ado, want to bring in Gerard Martinez, he is on the line right now. Gerard, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I can't complain. Uh, had some fun uh, this week. The football fans, I talked about this on the Family Feud podcast a little bit. And I don't even think I told you. I, I told you on the uh, text thread. But I got to do a little uh, acting on that show, All American, um, which I guess has a lot of good. I haven't watched the show, really. A bunch of recruiting stuff in there. It might not be the most accurate. Chris Trevino is a big fan of the show, but I got to play an old volleyball player playing against the kids. It was kind of fun. Chris Trevino is a big fan of the show. I heard otherwise, but okay. Well, he he watches the show all the time. It's a guilty pleasure of his. <laughs> I think it's definitely a guilty pleasure, but I'm going to go back. It's on uh, Netflix. I'm going to go back and, and watch it now since I'm going to have a, a small part on it and be in some scenes, some volleyball scene, but that yeah, should be kind of fun. But um, yeah, we wanted to get you on. And talk about all the recruiting stuff that's been going on, which hasn't really been trending in the right direction uh, since USC fired Clay Helton. Understandable. So we're going to talk about all of that. But also wanted to let people know about our good friends over at Trader Joe's. They've uh, been like n- nice enough, like I said, um, to you know allow us to give away gift cards for our best reviews every week. Um just to let people know, Trader Joe's stores will be closed on Thanksgiving, but you can get your turkeys now. So you can go over there and uh, get your turkeys. And if you go to the website, TraderJoe's.com, tons of cool recipe ideas. If you want different kinds of um, sides to go with your Thanksgiving meal, different, if you want, you know, vegan options, things like that. If you want cool, like just desserts, there's a pumpkin pie milkshake right on the very front uh, page of TraderJoe's.com. You can check out. It looks really good. Um, you got the pumpkin pie. You got the milkshake. A little whipped cream on top. I know. I'm I'm a big Thanksgiving guy, Gerard. I don't know if you are. Yes, love Thanksgiving. So pumpkin pie milkshake sounds fantastic. They actually <laughs> brought back the gingerbread 
malt that they have at Red Robin, which used to be great. And then it disappeared for some reason for like years. And they actually bought it back this past year, but it's not quite the same. It's a little different. It's not quite as good, but it is back for those who enjoyed the gingerbread milkshake that they used to have at Red Robin. It is returned. Oh, all right. Well, this is a Trader Joe's segment, John, not a Red Robin segment, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, you're totally good. I mean, I just, there's things that you think about um, during the holidays, you know, and uh, that's where you're like, that's a certain food that you like. A lot of it is homemade stuff. And that's why, I mean, that's why I like going to TraderJoe's.com. And we, I try to do something unique, uh, like a side or something like, oh, I haven't made that before. Uh, and check it out. But this this pumpkin pie milkshake looks pretty good. You basically just take a pumpkin pie and break it into pieces and you put some whole milk in there and vanilla ice cream and whipped cream. And uh, man, you can whip that up and freeze it. And uh, it sounds really good. So I'll have to check that out. But I, it'd be it hard. I'd probably really just good. eat the pumpkin pie. Just like when I make cookies, I like to eat the dough. You know, I'd probably just eat the pumpkin pie. <laughs> but, you know, are you a pumpkin pie guy? I do. I like pumpkin pie. Uh, I know a lot of people are sort of uh, on the fence about it. You know, it's uh, I, maybe to not the same extent, but there's a little bit of that sort of candy corn. You know, you either oh. love it or hate it sort of thing. Seems like a little bit of that with pumpkin pie as well. There is a little bit of that. I mean, I get it, but like, I love pumpkin pie. I love candy corn too. So, shout out to our buddy Sean, who's also a big pump, uh, candy corn guy. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to we got we got Gerard on, and that's what people want to hear. They want to hear from Gerard. We did what do we have like a month and a half ago or something. We had you on, and uh, it was great. Great reviews. People loved it. Uh, people were all into the show. Just to get your thoughts on the team and recruiting and all that stuff. But we got to talk recruiting, and people have asked for a recruiting podcast. Unfortunately, I mean there was some USC needed to fire Clay Helton. Obviously, you needed to move on. But when you do that after, you know it's mid-September and you got months and months left in the recruiting cycle and then you have to hire a head coach at some point maybe at the end of the season only leaving yourself a couple of weeks before the early signing period um that's what we're seeing some some of the early hires uh where it was McGuire goes over to Texas Tech or Jim Mora goes to to UConn you get try to get them in there right away and working on the team because you need to get the recruiting stuff going because there's just not a lot of time from the end of the season to the early signing period, which I'm not a big, I'm very clear. I'm not a big fan of the early signing period when it is in December, but um, I don't know where you want to start Gerard, but just this recruiting class is not ranked very high. Um, just got a huge decommitment. Uh, the five-star decommitment. There could be more coming. I mean, there, it doesn't seem like there's any light. The light at the end of the tunnel might be a train, I guess is the thing right now. Unfortunately, yeah, we're seeing uh, another class historically low national recruiting ranking and historically low in the Pac-12 as well. They're ranked number ninth in the Pac-12 in recruiting right now. Now, they've only got eight commitments. Uh, Devin Brown, the 6'3", 200-pound quarterback from Corner Canyon, Utah, who has uh, been committed for quite some time, he remains the highest-ranked recruit now that Damani Jackson, five-star from Modern Day High School cornerback, has decommitted, he took his official visit to Alabama. He's trending towards Alabama. says that he still wants to take his official visit to USC and see USC, give USC a chance 
He's really sort of uh, the gem of the class and the number one ranked player in the state. And Dante Williams' guy, being that Dante Williams is a cornerback coach, this was tough. You know, this was tough to lose that commitment and uh, a guy that's, you know, been such a, a prominent Trojan commit, sort of emblematic of carrying this class. But as we've seen this class sort of deteriorate, and it really didn't get going. I think the way that the coaching staff wanted it to go out of the June official visit period, you had a lot of summer official visits in that month. And I think USC wanted to come away with probably six to eight commitments coming out of the summer. And they missed on a few of those guys. They did get Mikel Williams, which that looked like it was going to start off perhaps this avalanche of momentum for recruiting. You get a five-star from across the country in Georgia, one of the best defensive linemen in the country. And his cohort, Christian Miller, the defensive tackle, also from Georgia, a lot of people uh, figured would be right on his heels with his own commitment. But Miller kind of waited, and I think he likes the recruiting process a lot more. And you didn't quite get the momentum that you thought you were going to get with a handful of other commitments. Gentry Williams, there was a lot of talk that maybe he was going to commit during the summer and make that decision. And if it would have been made then, it probably would have been for USC. But none of that sort of happened. And then we got into the season, and of course you have that blowout loss at home to Stanford, and Clay Helton is fired. And from that point on, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty around USC and the football program and the direction of the football program. And certainly with the past hires that USC has made and the lack of success they've had on the field, the lack of success they've had in developing players for the NFL, because those numbers in the draft have sort of faded. A lot of these kids don't have confidence in USC right now. So I think in years past, maybe there's the, well, USC is going to make a great hire. They're going to get a guy that's going to be able to get them back to national championships. And certainly when you hired Lane Kiffin, there was continuity with Pete Carroll's system. When you hired Sark, there was still continuity with Pete Carroll's system. And obviously we all thought, okay, maybe you want to go in a different direction. Maybe you want to get away from that. These guys maybe are around with Pete Carroll, but they're not Pete Carroll. But kids didn't necessarily see it that way, and they remember Pete Carroll, and they remember those dominating dynasty years. And so that helped USC a little bit. But then you promote Clay Helton, who had no association with Pete Carroll at all, and those winning teams, and now you're in this place where you fired him, and the program really has to rebuild. I mean, there is a rebuilding process here. It is not one of those things where USC has recruited so well over the past three years that you can just bring anybody in here and feel like, okay, they're going to have a shot at being the best in the Pac-12. So there's a lot of questions, and, and kids and parents have a lot of questions, and that in itself has obviously put this 2022 recruiting class in a bit of, I don't even want to say a limbo. Right now it's sort of on the ropes, you know, whether they're going to be able to have a class that's going to be salvaged or not when you have those decommitments and you only have guy, you know, eight guys that are committed and only, you know, really a handful of those guys are actually uh, four-star type prospects. I mean, the core of the class is sort of disintegrated. Mikel Williams, 
Uh, Damani Jackson, I think, is a huge blow. Uh, Devin Brown still hanging in there. But Devin Brown, really, of those three, this probably has the biggest questions because you have to know what type of offense you're bringing in. He's not really a dual-threat quarterback. He's not really a guy that is going to want to run any type of option type of offense. So if you're bringing in, uh, you know, let's say a Dave Aranda uh, or even a, a Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, to less extent, uh, Devin Brown is going to probably decommit and look for a school which runs a more pro-style system. So, yeah, the, the, the core of that 2022 class that was kind of holding it together, kind of keeping it, you know, at the top of the Pac-10, uh, excuse me, Pac-12, has disintegrated. So that's sort of where we stand right now with this recruiting class that's committed and pledged. So when USC fires Clay Helton and goes with Dante Williams as the interim head coach, I want to talk about that transition a little bit because the reason would be is like, all right, we want to bring in a recruiter, let him keep recruiting and get on the recruiting trail and and help keep the recruiting class together. He'll likely be retained and then the next head coach has like a, a head start on what's going on. Obviously that has not been the case. And, you know, with the Jackson decommit, uh, you know, like you mentioned, that's Williams guy, you know, number one player in California. He can't keep his own guy. I don't know if it was, well, Dante Williams could keep the class together as long as the team wins. And there was talk after that first game, the Washington state game of, well, what if Dante Williams wins out and they, you know, not only make the playoff, but win a national championship. Like if you remember that talk, um, obviously hasn't gone that way. Uh, they were one and one when he took over They're four and five now. So, you know, he has a losing record as a, as a head coach, but you know, they've, like you've said, they sort of like lost their way. Um, the class has disintegrated the core of it at least. And you're not sure what's going to happen with Devin Brown. Obviously it's going to matter a lot who they bring in as an offensive coordinator and what kind of system they run and all of that. But that transition to Dante Williams, like I don't know outside of just winning a bunch of games, if that really would have worked and maybe it's something where, you know, he's got a lot of hats to wear. He went from like literally walking to a meeting on Monday to, you know, his quarterbacks um, to, you know, Mike Bones saying, Hey, by the way, you got to address the whole team. You're now the interim head coach. I mean, it happened that quickly. And then you're out at practice like later that day. Um, that's, that's a lot. And, you know, maybe that distracts him from the recruiting aspect but it's really hard to recruit when you're going to say, hey, come play for me. Hey, are you going to be the head coach? Uh, probably not, but, you know, I'm going to still be here. Maybe, uh, you know, well, or is the rest of the staff going to be there? Well, I don't know. And it's there's no way to really recruit when you don't know who's going to be leading things. It's It's been run so poorly that, you know, everyone knows you just need a reboot, right? You need to fix a lot of things. So there's going to be a lot of changes made. Uh, the culture, everything's going to change. I don't know what he could have done to recruit more besides, you know, win some games, but what, you know, give your thoughts on this transition to Dante Williams and, um, you know, would have been better if you'd named Todd Orlando or Graham Harrell or Mike Jenks or someone as the interim head coach, or is this just kind of like what was going to happen no matter what? You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, I think that the idea that Dante Williams could sort of be the face of the program uh, as an interim coach that he has a great understanding of recruiting and having him as the head coach, you know, philosophically, 
in terms of strategy. Uh, he's going to be able to take the reins and make his calls. And so that's something you want to give him. You know, you don't want him to be under a lame duck interim coach that doesn't want to do this or doesn't want to offer this guy. Cause you know, ultimately it's kind of tough for him to say, Hey, I want to get aggressive and I want to offer and I want to take these commitments from, you know, Jason Richardson, Jr. 2024 prospect. I want to take a commitment from Aaron White to 2025 prospect, a freshman in high school. I want to get aggressive with more scholarship offers locally. If Mike Jenks is the interim head coach and Mike Jenks says, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I'm not even going to be here next year. Anyways, I don't care. Then he's a little hamstrung. Uh, but then at the same time, you, you kind of put more on Dante Williams plate to where, you know, he can't just focus in on Damani Jackson and really really stick with recruiting and, and, and ignore all the other stuff that you have to do as a head coach. Uh, there's a lot that goes on to his plate. And I think that, you know, in that respect, he's sort of hamstrung as well, because I don't think he's able to spend as much time grinding. You, you never can. This is why, you know, we talked about T Martin when he was promoted to being optical coordinator uh, it was good because you you want to reward your coaches with titles and you want to keep them around when they've when they've been successful and they've done some good things. But at the same time, I knew and said then it's going to hamstring T. Martin a little bit as a recruiter. He's going to be an offensive coordinator now. He's going to have more on his plate. He's got to help game plan. He's got to get the 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 script right. He's got to do certain things that are going to take his focus away from just grinding on the recruiting trail, just grinding on his position. And that happens a lot when you see, you know, teams are trying to retain these coaches and they make Tosh Lapoy or they make T. Martin a coordinator and all of a sudden it diminishes their ability to recruit because they just can't grind on it as much. And I think that's what you're seeing with Dante Williams here. He's just been uh, hamstrung by having to juggle all these other things, all these other responsibilities as a team. I mean, he doesn't just have a cornerback room anymore. He has the team room. He has all, all kinds of different things that he has to meet uh, with the different coaches, their positions. Um, he's trying to keep track of ro roster management, personnel management. And, oh, by the way, um, there's this coaching search going on. And I'm sure he's, you know, answering questions behind the scenes about that. So, yeah, uh, not to make, you know, a bunch of excuses, but I think that if, Mike Jenks was the interim head coach. Would it allow Dante Williams to work more on recruiting? And maybe there would have been some movement there and he could maybe keep Damani Jackson committed. Maybe. But at the same time, like you said, I think one of the issues also is not necessarily his position, but the fact that USC has looked as bad as they've also looked. I think that is also at play here. You would want to have Dante Williams come in as an interim coach and show some promise, you know, be more competitive, be able to sell, look, we're not that far away because the way the team looks like right now, it's a full on rebuild. There's a lot, big gap there for them and getting to a point where they're nationally relevant again. Right, maybe they can get back to the Pac-12 championship uh, sooner rather than later. But when you're looking at the top schools nationally, and you're looking at that group that you know, you know, the Clemsons and the Alabamas and the Ohio States, and I know Clemson is not having that kind of year this year, but the teams that 
are constantly sort of in that conversation, Oklahoma, USC is way far away from that right now. I mean, that's what they're showing on the football field, at least. And that's what recruits are seeing. And let me tell you, 100%, these kids are hearing all about, you know, Dante Williams as a coach through how he's trying to handle this interim period, which isn't obviously fair to Dante Williams, but guess what? Recruiting isn't fair. Those schools that are going to try to negatively recruit against you are going to use every single thing they can. They're going to say, you know, I mean, Dante, yeah, really? Like, look at how their cornerbacks are, are, are playing right now. Look how their secondary is playing right now. Look how their defense is playing right now. Why would you want to play for that? Like, that's, you know, so it has hurt his brand to some extent. Again, not fair. It's not on him. It's not his defense. And just like with the recruiting trail, he's not being able to focus as much on the cornerback position either. You know, he's not able to just be a cornerbacks coach like he's been for the past whatever odd years. I mean, that's been his focus, and he's been able to work with those guys, hands-on, detail-oriented. Now he's got a whole team he has to make sure is, is ready and prepared. And obviously, it's been a lot for him, and it's a lot more on his plate. Um, I don't want to say that, you know, he wasn't ready for it or he's not prepared for it or anything like that because that's uh, almost like a slight. I mean, obviously, he did everything he thought he could do, but this is his first time ever having such responsibilities. So, you know, it's kind of hard to know what you need to know. He's getting a dose of it right now, and it's a lot on his plate. And it's hurt the recruiting class, obviously, that, you know, he hasn't been able, at least with, you know, a guy like Damani Jackson, been able to, to be hands-on. But again, I think it has a lot to do with USC and the product they're showing on the field, the lack of development. Everything is just sort of coming to a head. And it's it's been the Clay Helton era. I mean, this is really what is a result of that. It's the wake of that. It's the wake of just the bad coaching and, and a lack of accountability and a lot of kids and a lot of players I think that are on the team and they're just sort of there and happy to be there and there hasn't been that really competitive push and so this is sort of the result of that I think you know the staff you could reasonably assume has checked out um, Dante Williams is really the only guy that we're hearing is guaranteeing or talking to recruits about being back on the staff next year I haven't heard that about any other coach from a recruit so you have to imagine that you know he sort of kind of a one-man band in recruiting right now, along with the, 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 the support staff, you know, those guys are helping him as much as possible. But, you know, like you said, there's no championing anything here. They don't know who the next head coach is going to be. And obviously the team hasn't played well enough or nearly well enough that Dante Williams could really be considered uh, a, a true candidate right now to be the head coach. So you can't really sell that. It's it's just tough. It's a lot of waiting right now, and it's a lot of bad football, and that is what's deteriorated the core of the class, which was already sort of a small class. And you know, you're basically rubbing up against Thanksgiving. You've only got a couple of weeks where you're going to have uh, official visits that you can bring uh, kids in that haven't visited, like Tamani Jackson, and then kids that have already offic uh, uh, officially visited USC will get another chance to visit again. But that's I believe only if a head coach, a new head coach, is announced. Ah, well, speaking of that time frame, that kind of is a good transition, Gerard. To we knew there was only so much time, right? The way the season was going, it's kind of one of those things, Gerard, where you're just like, all right, this season just needs to end. Like, it needs to be over. It's not. There's you're not getting a whole lot out of this. Like, yeah, maybe the players can make a bowl game, and the, every player I talked to 
the coaches I talked to, at least publicly, have said, you know, they want to play in a bowl game. So there's something there. But then you get the mess from last weekend that Cal gets 44 positive COVID tests. They can't play the game. And USC is nice enough to say, instead of taking the forfeit, we will reschedule for Pac-12 championship uh, weekend. So it's Saturday. Um, but the game's now going to be at 8 p.m., which is the worst, obviously, on the on the West Coast. So it starts at 11 p.m. on the East Coast, but it'll be a road game on December 4th, so a day after the championship game that's on Friday night in Las Vegas. Uh, USC's going to go to Berkeley, but that means that the coaches, and it's not even like a if it was like a noon game, like the coaches could come back Saturday night and maybe host visitors on Sunday. They're not going to get back until like four in the morning on Sunday, you know, or three in the morning, something like that. Um, it's going to be rough to do that and then try to have like an official visit weekend. It'll probably have to spill over into Monday, Tuesday kind of thing. But it, it, it sort of was like you are going to be both hands handcuffed behind your back for this recruiting cycle. And, oh, we're also going to shackle your leg <laughs> to the to the wall. Like, it just seemed like this was something that, as far as the recruiting aspect goes, didn't need the Cal game to be postponed and extend the season, the regular season, an extra week. Yeah, if it was a home game then perhaps, but that's the one thing that's interesting about this because we had heard previously that Dante Williams and the coaches were trying to make that December 5th weekend, the weekend that they would bring in those players that had already officially visited USC. So Mikel Williams was the first that talked about, yeah, right now I have it penciled in that I'm going to return and take my second official visit to USC for December 5th. So we all sort of circled that and said, okay, does that mean that there is going to be an announcement of a head coach by December 5th? Uh, Now that was speculation, but obviously if the staff is saying that, then, you know, that probably has to go through the athletic department to some extent. Hey, we want to bring kids in for their second official visit at this date. Does this work with the time frame of a decision of a new head coach? So now you're going to play an away game on that weekend. You're not having any official visitors that weekend. So that either tells us that USC doesn't think they're going to have that decision made at that point, or at least they will not have a coach announced at that point, or they're just saying, you know what, recruiting is sort of, this class is, 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 is being sacrificed. There's not enough to salvage here, and we'll go ahead and play a meaningless game in the Bay Area, which, you know, hopefully gets gets played. Hopefully it does, because you never know with Berkeley and everything going up there with the politics, it could get canceled again. Um, so that's that's a that's a, an interesting thing that that USC is, uh, and and I'm actually just hearing this for the first time. USC has actually publicly said that they agreed to postpone the game and not just take the forfeit. Yeah, so I think the there wasn't an automated forfeit. So when we were at practice last Tuesday, um, I mean, we were talking to the sports information director Tim Tessalone, and he, while he was talking to us, he got a call from Cal, the athletic department. You know, they had all talked about what was going on, and they had to talk to George Klyavkov and um, USC. I mean, they could have said we're not playing a game that weekend, and then Cal would have had to forfeit. So uh, I don't know if it was. I don't think there was any way that the, the the conference could have forced USC to 
to play. I think they were in agreement, though, of, you know, hey, we'll play the game. We'll take this. We'll take one on the chin for this one and postpone it. Um, I think if you yeah, in terms this, of recruiting, you yeah. are very much taking it on the chin because you really only have two weekends before the early signing period. And those are really prime recruiting weekends. You know, if you're trying to bring uh, kids in under the guise that there's going to be an announcement of a new head coach or a new head coach might even be on campus at that point. So yeah, that's, um, at least that's you an one, interesting... one recruiting weekend, right? One official visit weekend, because this early Sunday starts with the 15th this December, like the, yes. re- yeah. Yep. So you only have that fourth is the, you know, that the weekend where USC is playing uh, Cal is the fourth. You have the weekend, you know, the 10th, 11th, 12th. And then three days later is the 15th. So like you are less, you know, less than two weeks out from the early signing period. When it starts, you're playing a football game, you know, and if they lose the next two, it is a meaningless football game because you will not make a bowl game. Um, so yeah, that's a, well, I mean, if you force Cal to forfeit, then you get the win that, that, I mean, that, oh, it, yeah. it, it, it sort of, I mean, unless a forfeit win is not the same according to the bowl, selection committee i don't know but uh yeah it, it's you know you can bring official visitors in for the byu game i mean you can have official visitors but it's you know obviously the timing of whether you're going to have a coach announced or not and that gap between the early signing period and and having kids come in before the early signing period and certainly uh it has a lot to do with the kids that you're bringing in that you've already brought in and that's the one of the key things because those are the best players on USC's board. The guys that they had come in in June, um, that's, those are the players that you would want to bring back in, you know, with, with the new head coach hired and say, hey, look, it, this is what we have. This is the direction we're going in. This is what this coach has done. I mean, just from the standpoint of it allows the support staff, it allows Dante Williams to be able to champion somebody rather than, hey, this is USC, this is a great school, it's great academics, and this is an amazing place to be. Those kids know that. I mean, those kids have already been to campus. They've already taken that official visit. And certainly the local kids that have taken unofficial visits and grown up Trojan fans, they know all that. They know the the network and the, the, the value of the degree in education. Um, they understand it's local, it's home, it's L.A. There's all those boulevard type of opportunities with NIL. All that stuff has been established. The big question, the big thing that's really missing from the formula of them reconsidering USC seriously is the football aspect and the direction of the football program. And, you know, are you bringing in a defensive-minded head coach? Okay, this is what our defense is going to be. Well, this is how I fit into the defense. I really like that idea. I really like what this coach has done at other schools and what he has done for other players. I'm going to commit to that. You know, I'm going to reconsider that. Um, or if it's an offensive coach, this is the system. Oh, you're going to run the ball now. Wow, amazing. I'm a running back. I like to run the ball. I like handoffs. So I'm going to consider USC again. I like this coach, so on and so forth. And so when you take that out of the equation, then there's really no need to bring these kids back on campus. And perhaps that's what's going to happen. Maybe this is sort of a signal that this announcement is not going to be made before the early signing period. Now that in itself leads to a lot of the speculation. It sort of goes down the, the the Luke Fickle rabbit hole even more because of Cincinnati and the fact that they're probably not going to be done their season, and they may, in fact, get into the college football playoffs. That's 
going to go into January. So, you know, you can kind of speculate on that. But again, we don't know that that's actually the case or why USC would be willing to, you know, have this game and use one of those, again, very valuable weekends um, to play a meaningless game as opposed to have a recruiting weekend. All right. Well, yeah. We're going to have great recruiting news right now, Gerard. Sorry. Um, one of the other aspects I wanted to talk about is sort of the comparisons to the 2020 recruiting class and like the ranking. So um, this class is not ranked uh, very high. Uh, what, ninth in the Pac-12 right now? Um, USC had a really terrible class back in 2020. Um, some there's some you know I talked about you off the air a little bit. There's some parallels, you know, where it was almost like that recruiting class, you know, following the year that USC went five and seven. It was the next, you know, that not that class that signed in February or December. It was the following year, and it was you know there was aspects of it where you had a five star decommitment from a modern day player, you know, Bryce Young. Um, it was almost as if everyone assumed that Clay Helton was going to be fired when Mike Bone came in. Um, you know, they ended up losing the Holiday Bowl that year in the 2019 season badly to Iowa. And I think there's a lot of people just assumed, okay, obviously Clay Helton's done, and he wasn't. So it was sort of like um, you 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 lost your head coach, and so you you threw away the recruiting class. But then your head coach stayed, and now you've continued to have that negative recruiting about, well, he's going to get fired next year. He's going to get fired next year. And then, you know, he was fired uh, this past year. So it's almost like you have two classes in like in a three year cycle, you know, three recruiting classes. Two of them, of the last three recruiting classes, two of them are like losing your head coach classes, which shouldn't really happen, but you sort of kind of got that. So um, I don't know. Get your thoughts on that, some of the parallels and where this class is ranked. Yeah, that's a good point. USC sort of suffered the, you know, we're going to lose our head coach, and then they didn't. Uh, they had all the negative effects of uh, head coaching football direction limbo and yet didn't actually go ahead with that move, that transition. There was no transition, and it was a weird period. I mean, I think what you see with recruiting is sort of always a reverberation and it was a reverberation of that five and seven year. And I think when USC turns around and they lose at BYU, that was where everybody started to look around and go, okay, Clay Helton is gone. He can't make it. There's no way they're going to keep him. Uh, I think we said going into that year, USC, you know, they need to have a strong start. They needed to win, you know, the majority of the games. They could win a majority of those games. And they lost to BYU, which was one of the games that everybody thought, okay, well, at least that's a win. So at that point in time, I remember talking to Bryce Young's father and then being very, very worried and feeling that, okay, Clay Helton's probably gone. And that was what motivated them to really start to look around and start talking to Steve Sarkeesian and Alabama and setting up that official visit. And I believe Bryce Young ended up decommitting in like October, but that was really the game that season, which a lot of people started saying, okay, Clay Helton's done. Like you can't lose this early in the season after having a five and seven year. And they ended up kind of sort of turning it around towards the end of the year. I think you said that they won like five out of six games uh, that season. And that helped to some extent, but it only helped to kind of put them back in the conversation with perhaps getting Bryce Young back on campus uh, with getting an official visit from Justin Flo, uh, they were in it with a running back from Ohio, Nate Mike Drennan. There was sort of a, a group of guys there, 
it was going to be a small class. It was going to be like a 17 uh, prospect class. So it wasn't going to be a big class either. And USC really put all of their eggs into that basket of those players, Justin Flo, Bryce Young. And they, I think because USC tended to do this close strong, felt like we're going to get these guys. And Mike Bone actually made a statement at that point. And that statement was made off the heels of Bryce Young being on campus for about eight hours unofficially. He was there like during a weekday. He went down to USC, played basketball with Graham Harrell, and he hung out on USC's campus with Gavin Morris and a bunch of the coaches for a long time. And I think the feeling was we're going to get Bryce Young back. And Clay Helton had told that to Mike Bone. I think that was the the feeling. They felt like they had some momentum with Justin Flo. Justin Flo's family and a lot of people around him kind of wanted to keep him home at USC. And he made a statement. And I can't remember off the top it's, of my head uh, exactly what that statement I, was. I got it here, Gerard. So recruiting is going dramatically better than anybody wants to admit. Yeah, I think, you know, nobody – is shy about admitting when recruiting is going well. <laughs> uh, I think it was just behind the scenes. He was told it was going way better. And, and it's sort of almost a passive aggressive statement. And it fell through big time. I mean, they lost out on every one of those guys. They lost out on Mike Drennan going to Kentucky. It was really bad. And, you know, this class, I don't know that there's necessarily that hope that there's a core group of guys that you bring back on campus that you could close with if you don't have a head coach, you know, ready in the wings to a be announced and b be on campus for some in-home visits. I mean, in-home visits are about to start here. So you really have to have uh, some, some of your, you know, eyes dotted and T's crossed when it comes to what the direction of your program is going to be on the offensive side of the ball, or the defensive side of the ball. And then you know, obviously there's going to be speculation opposite of what that head coach does. If that head coach is a guy like Dave Aranda, you know, the question is going to be, okay, do you bring Jeff Grimes with you? Obviously, I think, I think you know, Baylor would look at Jeff Grimes and say, okay, that's a, that's a potential head coach for us. They may want to keep Jeff Grimes, and Jeff Grimes may want to be a head coach and take that job. Now, Dave Aranda has to go and try to find another offensive coordinator. The most he can do is convey – this is the type of offense I want to run. This is what we did at Baylor. We're going to do something similar to that. It's not the same as having that offensive coordinator in home saying, this is how I see you in my offense and being able to articulate that or a position coach even. you know, I think something that Aranda did that was very smart at Baylor, and I'm just speaking of Aranda just because he's off the top of my head. We'll go in alphabetical order. <laughs> I don't want people to, to, to necessarily read too much into this. But, you know, Matt Rule went out and he hired a couple guys that had a lot of high school football coaching experience. And that's something that's a little bit taboo with some coaches. You kind of talk to some coaches and they're like, oh, I want guys with college experience. But, you know, he went and got Joey McGuire. And Dave Randa was smart enough to see that and make sure he kept Joey McGuire on the staff and is an associated head coach. And McGuire is a you know Texas High School Football Coaches Association Hall of Famer. I mean, he won a ton of games at Cedar Hill and was a guy that 
had so many connections in the DFW area. And that really helped Aranda come in and sort of hit the ground running. And it helped Matt Rule, obviously, a lot in recruiting. And I think, you know, from a ranking standpoint, it was like, okay, you know, Baylor was all right uh, for, for, for them, you know, relative to what they'd done in the past with Matt Rule. They got a little better with Aranda. He's only been there two years, and obviously the COVID year was very difficult for them. But they've they've slightly improved a bit. But I think evaluation-wise, it's going to be interesting to see what comes from those teams because I think when you bring in a guy that's a high school guy, you bring in a guy that's got a lot of connections, he's got a lot of people that are going to tell him the truth about things. He's going to tell you, know, you got other high school coaches that respect you. You've got other friends in the area. And they're going to give you the real deal on what some of these guys are and what they aren't from a recruiting standpoint and evaluation standpoint. And so it would be interesting, you know, if, if Aranda went that way too. He lost Joey McGuire just recently to Texas Tech. That's Texas Tech's news head coach. Um, so it would be interesting to see if he, I mean, you make a play for a guy like Matt Logan you know, would, would, would be uh, obviously a, a pretty big hire in the eyes of many. Matt doing what he's done at Corona Centennial Public School, um, just being able to compete with the modern days and the De La Salle's and the, the, uh, the St. John Bosco's of the world, or a guy like Jason Negro, who's a younger guy that's obviously had tremendous amount of success building St. John Bosco. People got to remember, St. John Bosco was not the heavy hitter uh, in the nineties and the eighties that they are today. I mean, they were not, they were, you know, like fifth best maybe in, in that group of appropriate schools. When you had Servite, and you've got Santa Margarita, you've got modern day, uh, you know, even Bishop of Mont back in the day had a ton of success. Um, James St. John Bosco really wasn't at that level. And now they are, uh, one of the best schools, uh, you know, year in and year out in the nation. I mean, it's really like Ohio state is, you know, St. John Bosco modern day is Alabama. I mean, that's, that's what you're talking about in the high school football world. Um, so you could bring in one of those guys, and, and that would be an interesting – you know, you have to bring him in as a full-time coach, a position coach. You wouldn't bring him in as a, a support staff guy. That wouldn't work because then you can't recruit any of those kids at those schools. That's the individual with an association rule, uh, the Jim Harbaugh rule. You can't hire a bunch of dads and god-uncles on your staff to get those kids. You have to bring them in like – Baylor did with Joey McGuire and, and give them a position, a full-time position on the coaching staff, you know, make them a, a quarterback coach or a running back coach, so on and so forth. But that would be an interesting step as well for a guy, um, you know, that maybe doesn't have his full staff together, you know, a Rand or, or Luke Fickle. We'll talk about Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle comes in, another defensive guy, another guy that comes in that you know is going to be able to recruit defensively. And Fickle is a bit of a heavy hitter as a recruiter. When he was a coordinator – at Ohio State. And by the way, you guys, this is a free podcast, I believe. So if you yes. haven't read and, you, and, you're, and you're not signed up for uscfootball.com, I'm going to show right now. We put together recruiting profiles for several of these head coaching candidates, and it goes into depth. Tons about of their, detail. These are really good. Yeah. Into the, the, the staff that they have, the, the, the experience they have uh, regionally, any connections that they may have locally, and the past uh, recruiting classes they've had, the, the evaluation from a standpoint of star rankings to who they've gotten drafted, so on and so forth. And so with Luke Fickle, I was, I was really surprised at his all-time commit list. He has some heavy hitters on his all-time commit list. I mean, you're talking like Joey Bosa. We're talking about guys from, you know, even Georgia. He recruited a lot. And I, and I had to go and reach out to our guy, Bill Krulik, at Bucknuts, who has, you know, covered Ohio State football forever. And I had to ask him, I said, you know, Bill, 
was Luke Fickle actually involved with these guys? Because, I mean, sometimes a defensive coordinator, hey, you're a defensive coordinator, and it's the defense. So you just get secondary you know, uh, credit for recruiting a defensive player. So I, I reached out to Bill and said, how involved was he with with this list of guys? And I don't have the list off the top of my head here, but um, I know Bosa and, and I mean, we're, there was like 12 guys on there that are like NFL starters. And he says he was really involved with a lot of these guys. Central Ohio, Cincinnati area, Georgia and Florida, he recruited for Ohio State when he was there for that transition from Jim Tressel, who got fired. And then he was interim coach as a head coach. And then he was kept on the staff when they hired Urban Meyer as defensive coordinator. And he was involved with a lot of those guys. So, you know, Fickle being a former NFL guy, I think he, he has some swag. I, I think he's low-key got a little something that really would connect with some of those upper echelon players, despite the fact that, you know, he's at Cincinnati and they haven't been able to really recruit a ton of those four-star guys or anything. I mean, most of the players that they have are three-star, two-star type of guys. But he's been around it at Ohio State, and I think being a former professional player, he's been around it and kind of sort of knows what that alpha attitude mentality is. And so I I, I think, you know, from the defensive side of the ball, you would get an immediate reaction if you were hiring him and you give him two weeks um, to work on the recruiting trail for USC before signing day. But on the offensive side, again, it's going to be the same thing as you get with Dave Aranda. I think there's still going to be questions as to, okay, who are you bringing? Are you, are you bringing your offensive coordinator with you? You know, how does that work? What's that guy look like? I don't think there's really a name of the group of college coaches they're looking at. Maybe Franklin to some extent, but I think with James Franklin at Penn state, that offense has been so bad this past season that there would still be a lot of questions even for him. And he's an offensive coach. He tends to be a little more of the CEO type of offensive coach. He's not really an X's and O's guy, but I think there would be a lot of questions as to who's your offensive coordinator going to be. You know, you're not bringing the guy with you that you had at Penn State, obviously, because that wasn't looking so good last season. So who's going to be your guy? What's your offense going to look like? The only guys that really you could bring in that would hit the ground running from a transition standpoint uh, to salvage this class would probably be, you know, an Urban Meyer, uh, maybe Chris Peterson, uh, Bob Stoops, those guys that have won championships and have won big games at such a consistent level that they've done it with multiple coordinators. And I think kids would say, hey, look, at this guy has won a bunch of games. He's, he's you know, sort of got that name that I can trust he's going to hire the right guy with the other guys, with the other coaches like fickle. And I think Aranda and Matt Campbell. And like I said, I think even to an extent, uh, Franklin, even though he's been a successful recruiter, I think there's just going to be questions there and you're going to have to sort of sell that other side of the ball. Um, and it, you're going to be a little bit handicapped doing that unless you bring in again, somebody immediately with you, and they hire, you know, Dave Aranda and he announces, you know, a day or two later, Jeff Grimes is coming with me and you're able to bring in your offensive coordinator and you, Dave Aranda, are able to sit down and talk about your defense. Then you've got a chance to salvage the class. And so it's obviously different than in the past when we talk about coaching transitions and, you know, even Lane Kiffin to Pete Carroll. And I talked about that continuity and that made sense in hiring Lane Kiffin made sense because listen, from the standpoint of understanding Pete Carroll's system, Lane Kiffin was probably the guy that knew it better than anybody else. And guess what? The guy that probably knew it the best 
next to Lane Kiffin was Ed Orgeron, and he was bringing with him on staff along with Monty Kiffin and a whole bunch of staff from Tennessee. So it made sense that late in the process, it was January when Pete left. It was that week of the Army All-American Bowl, so it was the second week of January. Uh, we were down there at the Army All-American Bowl, actually at the underclassmen combine in Alamo Dome when that news broke. Uh, you had you know, two, almost three weeks before that February signing period, before that transition, you had Pete Carroll coming away from Paul Hackett, and that was done after the season. So you didn't even have an interim head coach. You know, Ed Erdron was just there as a guy that was grinding as a defensive line coach, and everybody knows that he was able to get uh, Sean Cody in that class away from Notre Dame, which was looked at as a pivotal sort of landmark recruit that you were able to get um, – and kind of build around to some extent. Can USC do that in this class? Can they get that one guy or those two kids that are those big-time guys that they're able to sort of build around? We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, we will see. Um, but no, I'm glad that, that was the next point I wanted to get to is like the trend as far as like what could these coaches do if they come in? Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's kind of the guys that really aren't working in college right now would, that would have the biggest impact on the current recruiting class. So we'll see, but you know, Michigan state, I think they're like more than half their starters came out of the transfer portal. So whoever comes in, um, you know, they, they have the opportunity to bring in guys pretty quickly and get, uh, options of people to come in and start right away. So we'll see, uh, what ends up happening there. But you know, you talk about the coaches, I want to talk about the coaching search uh, a little bit. I mean, you guys, like Gerard talked about, he uh, has been putting up the hot board uh, for a while now. We're up to version 2.54. Uh, it's a little you know, incremental updates going on. Uh, but there's a lot of it, good information, and there's links to those recruiting profiles that he was talking about. There's polls on the Peristyle uh, where we ask some of the fans what their uh, thoughts are on the, the individual hires. Um, the latest news that we just found out today, it's not official, but it's been, uh, it was broken by one of the reporters covering Michigan. I'm sorry, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but Mel Tucker, who is a, uh, you know, candidate, Michigan state Spartans, um, you know, nationally ranked in the college football playoff, uh, you know, p playoff polls. And someone that was at Colorado for a year gets more than his salary, more than doubled by Michigan state. Well, now it's going up again. Um, I believe the numbers that I saw were like nine years and like nine and a half million dollars, something like that, like an astronomical amount of money for Mel Tucker, who's really not been a head coach that long and, you know, didn't have a great year. And then all of a sudden his boom is just like, he's having an awesome year. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's a lot of money. So it, we'll see if it becomes official. His name is, you know, apparently LSU was very interested in Mel Tucker, other name, you know, other programs, but I don't think you could get Mel Tucker unless you're a blue blood. I don't think like a Washington uh, would be able to get a, a Mel Tucker, but you know, USC, LSU were ones, you know, in the mix there. And I don't know any thoughts on, uh, on that and, and Mel Tucker's candidacy, Gerard. Yeah. Mel Tucker's just not a guy that we've ever heard talked about with USC circles. And, you know, to be clear with USC circles, it's, sort of the booster side, the football alum side, and then trying to get things from the sides of the coaches, the candidates themselves, and what connections they have, what reasons they would have for maybe looking at 
certain openings and opportunities. And Mel Tucker's just never been a name that's popped up very much with USC. With LSU, it was a prominent name very early on. Um, and then obviously, you know, he loses that game uh, and, you know, everybody sort of kind of chills on him. It, it, it's funny because, I mean, you watch this process and it's a week out and weekend process of, you know, who's going to win and what have you done for me lately? You know, this guy's, you know, beat this this particular ranked team and boom, you know, everybody wants I know. to. It's like you're hiring a head coach for what you hope is like a, a next decade or so. And you're going to like flip every week or like, oh, they beat that team. That's great. Oh, nope, they lost this game. Like I, if you liked him two weeks ago, you thought he was a great head coach and he like loses a game the next week. You, you don't like him anymore. Is he suck as a head coach? Like I don't get that very much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you lose to Purdue who is, you know, not a great team, but has played, you know, you, you played some good teams close. You really have to look at, you know, the wins and the losses a little deeper. And, and certainly we've heard a lot about Brandon Sosna's analytics. And, and I think that more than anything is just, it kind of cuts through a little bit of the emotional sort of wins and losses and getting maybe to the root of what, what we you know, what comes from that, you know, what, what's the, what's, what's leading to these, some of these wins and losses. And, and for me, it's always about how are you losing and how are you winning? Um, more so, how are you losing? I mean, if you're losing games, uh, let's say like an Iowa state with Matt Campbell, you know, how are you losing those games? Are they close games? Are you, are you competitive? Are there things that just happened in the game where it was a bad turnover or, or maybe there's a penalty or something that happened that really where that margin of error was really low. And even against a, a not good team, let's say it was, you know, the loss that they had against uh, West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is not a good team. That was kind of a bad loss, but it was on the road. They had a chance to tie the game. They're at the goal line and, uh, they called that there was a fumble at the goal line, which a lot of people felt like wasn't a fumble uh, with uh, Brees Hall, and they end up losing that game on that play, more or less. And so you go and you look at those losses and you say, all right, I mean, you know, you, you're trying to really look at the, the, the body of work more from almost like a, you know, a play-by-play standpoint in, 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 in total and not just, you know, glossing over the wins and losses. Um, and I think so that that, you know, that stuff doesn't matter, I think, so much as, you know, what are these guys doing from a coaching standpoint? How are they motivating their teams? You know, what are the adjustments that they're going through? Um, what was the uh, the game that uh, I just watched? And it was, it was actually it was Iowa State when they lost to Texas Tech. You know, Iowa State was down, I think, 31-14 at half in that game. They just were they played an awful first half. But they were able to get themselves back into that game, and it looked like it was going to overtime, but they ended up losing on the 62-yard field goal. So, again, you're, you, you like what you see from the standpoint of, okay, they came out flat. That happens. Listen, we were around with the Pete Carroll. We saw USC lose to, to Oregon State. We saw them lose to UCLA. We saw them lose to some teams that were just no way should have been on the field with them. It happens. It's college football. These are kids. They're mature. They're not always prepared. They're not always ready. And, and, and just stuff happens. And it's football. You can even look at the NFL. I mean, teams lose. I mean, how did the Buffalo Bills lose to the Jackson Jaguars? Like, Jacksonville Jaguars. How did, how did that happen? You know, I mean, it, it, it happens. It's football. It's a team sport. There's a lot of moving parts to it. You want to see, though, was it a bad loss? You know, I mean, you, you don't want to see a coach go out and just have a really blowout loss to somebody that he shouldn't lose to. 
there's something there. Like there's some kind of issue there. That's a bigger, you know, you really came out and you weren't able to make the adjustments at halftime to be able to get back into the game. So that's, that's, those are the bigger issues. Or when you have a bunch of losses and they sort of seem to get a little out of control uh, in terms of, you know, the margin and, and, and there's, you know, up and down and, and things uh, with Franklin, you know, that's an interesting name that's come up. You, you know, the, what's really weird, Gerard, is like he is not a popular choice. Um, very divisive. Yeah, what, very divisive. I think your poll had him almost at 70% of disapprove. And I've definitely, I, you know, I thought he'd be one of the better candidates. I, I think he still could, but he's having a bad year there. You know, he doesn't have a great record against the top 10. But, you know, he's he's done more than Harbaugh as far as like he's beat Ohio State. He's won the Big Ten. Um, but you know, that was a few years ago. And then obviously, you know, he ended up losing in the Rose bowl to, uh, Sam Darnold, Clay Hilton, you know, USC, but man, I don't know if it's just because that he lost to Clay Hilton, um, uh, which people should get on Chris Peterson because Chris Peterson lost to Clay Hilton during his playoff year. Um, but you know, that's when you think about that, that's kind of crazy, but yeah, they were not fans of James Franklin. Just for the most part, if USC, there's like, you know, like, it's Penn State's head coach. Like, when has USC done something like that? Like, we're going to go hire some Blue Bloods head coach. Like, no, that's like, you know, Howard Jones. Like, maybe the last time that happened. Um, but they, I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. Like, I get sometimes. But, man, there's many USC fans that don't like Franklin. just kind of baffling to me. That's sort of where the transition was talking about, you know, from Tucker to Franklin. Because Franklin is that guy that everybody is sort of, you know, waiting to point out, see, he's not a good head coach because of this game or that game. But at the same time, as a guy that, you know, his losses, those margins are very, very close, even against Ohio State. I think he's one in seven against Ohio State, but there's a handful of those games where he's lost by like one or two points. So, you know, you have to sort of consider that and plug in, okay, if he's at USC with USC's talent, you know, specifically the quarterback position, because that's really where they've been very bad at Penn State. They just haven't had very good quarterbacks. I think Christian Hackenberg was their best quarterback in the last, I don't know, five, six years. So, you you know, you kind of look at that and go, okay, you know, he would have better quarterbacks. You know, you just have locally some really good quarterbacks. And if you have a decent uh, offensive coordinator behind you and a guy that puts together a decent system, you're going to have those quarterbacks and you're going to be able to have a pretty good offense just based on that. But again, like you said, very divisive. He's like Lane Kiffin when Lane Kiffin was on the outs at USC. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, people just didn't like Lane Kiffin and it was a real like you either liked him or you hated him. And that kind of seems to be the same thing with Franklin. And I will say this, though, the Penn State fan base is also very up and down with James Franklin as well. So it may be something about his disposition, maybe how he comes off in the media, things that he's done, uh, said that sort of rub people the wrong way, because even the Penn State fan base has a bit of that going on as well. They sort of talk about him almost like Washington fans used to talk about Steve Sarkeesian, seven win Sark. You know, like, you know, it, it, yeah, he can recruit, he can do this, he can do that, but he's just not the guy. And we know he's not the guy. So let's just move him on. USC wants him? Oh, go ahead and take him. Oh, you want to buy him out? Great. You want to buy Justin Wilcox out? Oh, fine. Give us a million dollars. We'll go get Chris Peterson. And that's what happened. And that's, 
a big fear sort of almost of USC fans is that USC comes along, buys out James Franklin, and then, you know, Penn State goes and grabs somebody that, you know, they feel is a better coach, a guy like, you know, Fickle or a guy like Aranda, even maybe a Matt Campbell. And so, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, Franklin, very divisive name. Um, I think the two names that I mean, Trojan fans, uh, probably even from a poll standpoint, specifically the later poll we did on Halloween, Dave Aranda and Luke Fickle are probably at the top. Uh, Aranda was a guy that, you know, we introduced early to the hot board and, and, and people kind of chastised that a little bit. Said, no way. I mean, look what he did in 2020 and he's only been there for a year and, you know, basically, he's a glorified coordinator at this point. But throughout the season, he's been able to win games and, and you know, his defense and really the offense for, for Baylor. That's the thing. That's why I sort of harp on that point with the transition and the immediate impact and salvaging the 2020 class. Baylor's offense has been as, as, as good as their defense, really, in a lot of these games, especially the big games. And a lot of people really like what they see from Jeff Grimes in terms of having a, a really good run bounce balanced offense um, that, you know, being a former offensive line coach and a BYU guy, I mean, sort of uh, remember, you know, kind of brings back maybe some Norm Chow feelings from USC fans that, you know, they would have a, a really good balanced offense, college offense, but one that would, you know, take advantage maybe more of the personnel set that USC can recruit. Because that's always the big thing, you know. I mean, with the air raid, it was like, oh, you know what, there's lots of receivers and quarterbacks in Southern California. But everybody forgot that that's the system that's been based on marginalized talent. Um, you want to bring in a system, and, and this is why, and people will scowl at this, you know, pro-style systems, the systems that are more pro-style. I mean, what is a pro-style system anymore? It's, you know, pushed more on the 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 receivers winning one-on-one battles, uh, the running game, you know, your offensive line being able to block. Um, I think you have to have a mobile quarterback these days, and I think even in the NFL they're starting to, to, to see that, and, and that's the way the NFL is going as well. And so that opens up a little bit of misdirection, a little bit of option here and there. But more than anything, it's, you know, sort of getting your run game a little more north and south and getting play action so you can get your receivers deep. And so I think that offense is going to be what, Ultimately, what Trojan fans want to see, and I and I think they've kind of come to Jesus a little bit on this, having seen the air raid offense, um, and that's what you're going to probably sell, particularly with those two coaches. I think any kind of defensive coach that you bring in, nine times out of ten, is not going to want to have an air raid type offense or not going to have a really pass pro offense. I think they see what I see. It hurts your defense. I know I've said this, I've rehashed this many, many times, but it's not so much what you do on Saturdays offensively. It's really what you're doing through the week. Your defense is seeing patty cake seven on seven football more often than not. You cannot expect them to go against a team that can run the football that is going to be like Oregon. There's going to be even like UCLA for that matter. And every day in practice, all they've seen is seven on seven because that's what your offense runs. So you're, you're, you're not seeing physicality from that. And, and the defensive coach knows that. He's going to want to bring in a, a, an offense that is going to run the football, um, not necessarily three yards on the cloud of dust. It could be a spread offense. You know, Baylor runs a lot of three receiver sets, but they run the football. And, and the scheme itself is a wide uh, uh, zone offense, and it's based on zone running. And that's that's where everything's based around. So, you know, play action, everything that comes from that, from the passing game, it's all about we got to run the football. And so, <clears throat> you know, with a defensive coach, that's what you're going to bring in. 
And that's what you really have to uh, pound away at if you're not able to bring your coordinator with you. Um, but I think, you know, those are the two names that I think Trojan fans are most comfortable with right now, Aranda and Fickle. And then you go to the NFL names, and, you know, there was a couple weeks there where we, we started hearing names floated around. And we talked about this in the War Room. I won't get into it too much because it's a free podcast. But, you know, uh, Matt Rule's name came up. So we did a little digging on that. And there were some other names that came along with that. And there have some other names floating around uh, when it comes to the NFL. Um, it's just hard to know how much that is actually USC uh, from an administrative standpoint that is reaching out and interested. And it's not just the alums from USC that play in NFL because you get, you know, that player committee and you get a lot of talk and a lot of things. And we just don't know how much influence that really has on the actual coaching search. Because at this point, it seems like it's really, it's, there's no firm, there's no, you know, uh, auxiliary sort of um organization that is that is involved with this search it's really brandon sosna uh and and mike bone and uh and really a, a few couple people and and the fact that it's been that way and it's been so quiet you know sort of also opens up to this i don't know if i want to call it a conspiracy theory but the thought that maybe this process started a long time ago and that's why it was so easy for them to to to, to fire clay Helton early on and maybe during the spring, this was already sort of in, in place and the wheels were moving on this. And they had talked to some people, maybe some of these candidates, even back then. And at this point are just kind of waiting to announce their guy. And obviously that would be, again, a Luke Fickle thing. So we've sort of gone down the rabbit hole with Luke Fickle twice here, <laughs> looking at that December 5th weekend that USC looks like they're giving up for recruiting, which would signal, you know what, we're just not going to have that announced by December 15th, so it doesn't matter. Um, and then, you know, the the thought that maybe it's been so quiet because they already have their guy and they're just kind of waiting to announce it, and Fickle being in the position he is with Cincinnati wouldn't want that announced, uh, and, you know, in, before probably uh, the end of December. Yeah, and they're, you know, obviously in the college football playoff hunt and all that. Um, one name you didn't get into too much, uh, Matt Campbell, at Iowa State, which another guy I like. I mean, they, I mean, no one's ever won at Iowa State, and they've he's done it a lot. But you know, he ends up losing uh, by a field goal to Texas Tech. Um, you know, they beat the crap out of Texas the week before, but they lost to West Virginia. It's not a very good team um, before that, and uh, you know, but they, they obviously had the great year last year, and they beat Oregon. So I mean, there's there's a lot coming from that, and there's a lot coming just from how you know he's built you know, that Iowa state team. So yeah, another guy that certainly from game to game, you just, you just don't have that knee jerk reaction, especially when they're losing these games very closely. I mean, they're really losing close games. We're going to have to see how they play against Oklahoma because Oklahoma is yeah. going to be, you know, fired up and, and then, you know, they're now, you know, been kind of knocked out of the playoff run, at least at face value um, by Baylor. So we're going to have to kind of see how, you know, they play Texas is a bad team. They're not very good. Um, you but know, they we're gonna beat, have to they see. beat they, Oklahoma State. That's the highest ranked team in the Big Twelve yes. right now. Like they beat yes, Oklahoma they, State. That great win for them, and uh, and they played Baylor pretty tough. You yeah, know? they lost they, by they, two they, points, thirty-one twenty-nine. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, so I mean, you you look at good coaching. You know, that's 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 more of what I focus on. Is is you know what what's really happening between uh, that that and on that that scoreboard. You know, the the, the score sheet. You know, what's what what are, what are the details and how these things happen. And, and the penalties and all that kind of stuff. And again, that that's why people leave, 
they lean on analytics because you get away from sort of the emotional, you know, yeah, but you know, they, oh, they shouldn't have lost this team. I mean, that team's so bad and they lost to that other team, then the team. That's just, that's just not the way football works. You know I mean? TCU beat Baylor. Uh, you know I mean? It's like, well, how did TCU beat Baylor? Yeah. But it happens, you but- know? The thing Gerard is, so I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I like him as a head coach. Like if you put 15 other random head coaches at Iowa state, they're not going to win as much as Matt Campbell did there. But this week he was asked, Oh, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go for it. I thought, I thought maybe no, but yeah, I saw that too. It was on the peristyle, but if you go look it up. So he was asked about, um, you know, the goals as far as, you know, winning. And he said, you know, the reporter asked him that and Campbell was quick to point out, that his goal was a lot. It was it was a lot more simple than just winning the league. He says, "Not me. That was never my goal. My goal." And he put his finger up when he said that. My goal mm-hmm. has been one thing, and that is to become the best version of ourselves that we can become. So you've never heard me say that word once. You've only heard me talk about becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. And really, my challenge for this year's team was to become the quote quote greatest together team in the history of Iowa State football. So far, all of our goals are still intact from a Coach Campbell standpoint. Now, could our players have other goals and aspirations? Sure. Do I want them to have great goals and aspirations? Sure. But that is not Coach Campbell's goal. That was never said by me. And some people in the Peristyle don't like it. They feel like it's more Clay Helton. But Clay Helton talked about championships all the time. Like he's, He always just would say like generic championships. For me, what he's saying is like, we're trying to be the best we can be. You're Iowa State. You have a ceiling that's limited. Now, would would Campbell say that if he was the head coach at USC, where the ceiling is doesn't exist and you could win a national championship? He's not going to win a national championship at Iowa State just by, by already beating the best team in the Big Twelve this year. That's you're overachieving as far as Iowa State goals goes. So I don't have a lot of issue with what he's saying. I think some people are looking at it as like a loser mentality, but. I think he's realistic of what he has. And just the fact that, oh, you lost to th- this team. Like, yeah, it's Iowa State. You could lose to everybody. But they're actually beating really good teams, and they've played other really good teams tough. So uh, I don't have a big issue with it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on what he said. Uh, I did not like it. Okay. I did, And I was going to say something in the thread, and I said, ah, uh, but I'll say it now. Who do you got? You like picks. Next year, it's the best version of our sales championship. Iowa State versus Georgia Southern. Who do you got, Ryan? Obviously, Iowa State. Come on, dude. <laughs> like, the best version of our sales championship. Iowa Clay State would never say that. 14. Clay would say we're going to win a championship, even when they're bad. You know. Yeah, but he really didn't. I mean, listen, Pete Carroll used to come out and say, look, it, our goal is to win the Pac-12, get to the Rose Bowl. And he said that. He put that out there. And if they didn't get that, USC. then they didn't achieve their goal. That's the hugest – that's the biggest brand in the – Iowa State got to the Fiesta Bowl and beat Oregon last but year. They should – that you you set a bar. You want to continue to hit some kind of bar. Look, at you You don't have to say uh, – you know, you, you could just say the Big 12. You you could say, you know, we, we have this – you know, we want to win all our home games. We want to – you – accountability is putting something out there – and owning yourself to it, like owning up to that thing that you put out there and working towards it. And when you fail, you fail. And you say, you know what? We haven't done that this year. And we have to figure out what we can do 
to get there next year, or we have to do, we have to figure out how to get better to where we feel we are in a better position to attain that. And you just have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with your team. You have to be honest with other people. And I love Matt Campbell. I'm a big Matt Campbell fan. And I, I and I tend to love his press conferences. You know, they always, they always say, you know, uh, you know, this guy can, can, can win a bunch of games, but he's not necessarily going to win a press conference. Matt Campbell is very, very good at press conferences. He's very articulate. He, he really sincerely tries to, to talk about his team and the process that he has. But that right there was deflection. And that right there was just not a, not just owning up to, Hey, you know what? We've lost games and, and, and just being upfront about what shortcomings have come from that. You know what, why were we getting our butts handed to us by Texas tech who doesn't have a coach right now? They're basically in USC's, you know, uh, position with, with an, with, with an interim coach. Why were we down 31, 14? You're not down 31, 14 and a half. You win that game easily. Yeah. Cause you got to turn around. Why'd and, you play and, bad and in the beginning? Back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a 62 yard field goal. I mean, Hey, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know what? I'll take that on the chin. You know what? We, we lost, we lost that game. You talk about why you lost and you say, you know, those are the things that we specifically have to get better at. We got to put ourselves in a position where we're not in that position, where we're not on the goal line and to tie the game, you know, we have to have our running back dive into the goal line and put the ball out there. Um, this best version of ourselves togetherness championship stuff. It's very gold star pass fail, not, you know, really attaching yourself to your goals and, and owning up to those goals and whether you you've, you've got them or, or, or you, you've fallen short of them. You just, I don't know. I think people read through it and they just feel like it's, it's, it's not, um, it's it's not leadership you know it's it's almost like making an excuse for what you what you didn't do without saying you didn't do it i i I get what you're saying and there's um and i think the parallels with the clay helton stuff is it's even though he's not putting the championship just generic championship thing like clay helton's saying clay was always just trying to put a positive spin on everything this i think is more of like a realistic positive spin because you could say all right they're six and four um, they're not going to win the Big 12, but if they win their next two games, which is very doable, right? They could beat Oklahoma and they beat TCU. They finish eight and four. Like this is Iowa State, like a team that's never been good. Like they've won nine games like a couple of times in in hundred years. Like literally, that's been really almost impossible to do at Iowa State. And you go, oh, this team finished eight and four. They beat Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. Um, you know, they beat Kansas State. Beat the crap out of Kansas by a zillion points. You know, lost to Baylor by two. Like, I think you would go, and I I don't want to say for Iowa State that that's a failed season because they didn't win the Big Twelve. So I, I mean, I, that's why I think he might be right as far as like if this team is eight and four with those kind of wins, are you going to say you didn't hit your goal? Like, that's a pretty good goal for Iowa State, I would say. Um, now I get, uh, it. but you're, but you're, you know, that's. I mean, I, I get that. I, I understand you're, you're trying to look at the context of the season, right? And that, that's why I think Matt Campbell is still a viable candidate for USC head coaching job. I don't, I don't, if, if you go out and you, and you lose a close game to Oklahoma and you, and you, and you beat TCU, I'm like, hey, Matt Campbell could still be, uh, do some pretty 
great stuff at USC as a coach. Now there's, you know, going to be a transition period. That's, that's a real rebuild guy. That's a guy you bring in and, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's the foundation of the program that you are changing. You know, it's, it's, it's real rooted culture change with a guy like Matt Campbell coming from the small school sort of background that he has and coming from Iowa state. That's, that's a real rebuilder. Now, is that a guy that guy, that's a guy that maybe could take you from, you know, zero to, to, to seven, eight wins, but is he a guy that's going to take you from eight to a national championship? You know, there's those, sometimes those are different coaches. Um, but that is a guy that you bring in and really can rebuild from a foundation standpoint. Now, I, I agree. There's always a context on, you know, what you do um, maybe internally. You, do, you know, you talk to your team, but externally you have to do what Pete did and say, we want to win the Pac-12 or we want to win the Pac-12 South. If you're, if you're, you know, Clay Helton, you say, you know, the first thing we can do, we can attain, the first goal we can meet is winning the Pac-12 South. That's got to be a consistent goal because consistency is a very important part of coaching. You can't say, well, we want to win the Pac-12 South as long as the teams are not super too good for us in the Pac-12 South and they're all ranked in the top 25 and then we're last. But we didn't attain our goals. But hey, man, look at Arizona State. Utah. They're all in top 25. They're so good this year. It's different. It's different this year. We didn't do it, but it's, that doesn't matter. It's different this year. That's what that is is, is sort of uh, projecting. Like, you know, year in and year out, it really just depends on the teams you're playing, how good you are and how proud of your team you are. Internally, you can do that. You can say, you know what, man, guys, listen, we didn't achieve our goals this year. We wanted to make the Big 12. But look at the teams we played and look how good they were and look what they did. Okay, we're close. We're there. We're not a bad team. But when you project outside of that – to the media and to the fans, it's, it's wishy-washy sort of, well, it was a good year because, you know, we almost beat Oklahoma and we almost beat, uh, you know, whoever else, you know, the Baylor and, you know, we beat, um, Oklahoma state. Wow. We beat Oklahoma state this year. That's, that's, that's amazing. You know, that's, that, that would have been a goal of ours at the beginning of the season. You know, it would have been if we knew Oklahoma State was going to be this good. We would have said, hey, <laughs> our goal is to beat Oklahoma State. See, you know, I mean, it, it, cha- it sort of changes with you. You can't do that. you got to say every year, look, at this is what we want to do. It doesn't matter how many. We may play freaking three teams in a row that are all top ten teams in, 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 our, in, our, in our conference. You know what? You know, like, I mean, SEC, sometimes you get that. But you goal, have injuries. Yeah. You have all kinds of things that happen, you know. I mean, you know, you have injuries during the year. And it's like, well – you know, we would have, you know, we would have had this goal, but you know, our quarterback got hurt, so that's not really our goal anymore. It sort of changed in the middle of the year because our quarterback went down. But you can't do that. You got to be consistent. So I get what you're saying within context. Again, within context, I think if you if if you have the season at Iowa State that you just said, and they beat Oklahoma, right? Which which I mean, I don't know they're going to beat Oklahoma, but <laughs> you you seem maybe a little more confident than I do. But they have there's 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 a possibility. They're a solid team. Okay, TCU, that's a game. That's still, I mean, TCU beat Baylor, TCU, they've got some athletes. If they're able to win those two games and go into a the probably, you know, decent, I don't know if that would be the Alamo Bowl or what they would get into at that point with their record. But I'm like, sign me up, you know, Matt Campbell. That's, that's, that, that tells me he's still a really good coach and, and the losses that he has, he's still a really good coach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there is context to that, but I think when you're addressing the public and the media and everybody else, 
there's got to be consistency and there's got to be accountability. It's got to be, this is what we are. This is who we want to be every single year. This is excellence for us. Okay. And we're going to, and, and you know it and we know it. And if we don't get there, then we don't get there and we didn't achieve it. And that is what it is. And that's on me as a head coach. That's on our staff. We got to get better. So we're there next year. Yeah. And and that's where you go. Now you're saying it shouldn't be the big 12 championship because they're Iowa state. It should be, you know, we should beat uh, the Iowa championship. We should beat, you know, Northern Iowa and Iowa every year. We didn't do this this year. So we didn't get our, our goals done. I don't know what it is, you know, but you, you do have to, you have to find a number. You have to find something to rally around every year. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, real quick. Um, it was uh, David Jesse, the reporter for the D- Detroit free press. And it was the reported Mel Tucker, um, deal is a 10 year, $95 million deal. So it wasn't just, uh, I think I shortchanged you by not uh, by a year. It was a 10 year deal. So, and it was David just that reported that. Okay. We got a lot that we've, we've gone quite a bit. We got some questions there. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and answer some questions. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Crazy. Yeah, hour and 20 minutes, Gerard, we were just talking. Um, so we'll, we'll try to do these quick, uh, some of these questions. Um, this one, let's see, we have uh, Rick from La Mirada wrote an email. He said, first, thanks for keeping the shows together for me and Keeley, but this isn't for Keeley. So he was curious about losing Dante Williams. Uh, do you think that the next head coach would keep Dante Williams for recruiting or um, would he go somewhere else? Sounds like he's going to have to. Sounds like the administrator <laughs> made that decision for the next head coach, which is in itself a little interesting. I mean, again, you, you kind of look to that conspiracy theory that maybe the coach has already been hired and all these things have been uh, ironed out. Um, otherwise, yeah, you're sort of strapping them with a coach and saying, hey, you know, this is a guy that we want to keep for these reasons. Dante Williams has been on the recruiting trail. He is guaranteed that he's going to be back on the staff next year. And you would assume that most coaches would want to have an ace recruiter, uh, especially with local ties on the staff. You know, you want to have that overlap that's going to give you the ability specifically with the next class 2023 to be able to hit the ground running you know the players the prospects you have a board you have uh you know some some idea of these players and their personalities and just a little more information instead of coming in cold because 
any of these guys that we're looking at at the top of the board, whether it be Luke Fickle, Dave Aranda, uh, Matt Campbell, who we were just talking about, uh, or any NFL guy, is coming in pretty cold. Um, there's not a ton of recruiting overlap with most of those coaches. Um, Baylor recruits Texas a lot, and interestingly, doesn't really cross paths with USC as much as you would think, being Baylor. Um, Luke Fickle doesn't cross paths with USC hardly ever with a lot of the guys that he's gotten committed and has recruited. Uh, and the same thing with Matt Campbell. So having a recruiter that really knows uh, the city section and knows Southern California and is recruited up and down the state and even in the West region, just being at Oregon, he's a guy that you really would like to have on the staff. And obviously I think the support staff, those recruiters, uh, those guys that are talking to kids that have relationships with kids, um, you want guys that can get a kid to pick up the phone, right? That's that's the big thing. Like, pick up the phone, get the new head coach on the phone with them, and get that ball rolling in terms of that relationship. Uh, because, again, outside of maybe James Franklin, because Franklin has a good recruiting class and he's been recruiting a while for Penn State, um, he may have, uh, you know, rubbed elbows and, and, and seen some of these kids at camps and maybe – um, in-person evaluation, something, you know, there's some visits, some unofficial visits to Penn State, some of these kids. So there might be some familiarity there, um, but it's still one of those things where you would want to have somebody on the staff that can, uh, you know, parlay and get you right into those. Again, if we're talking about the end of the year, um, you know, that little bit of recruiting time you have get you right in home and get you right on the phone and boom, 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 get things happening quickly. All right, let's go to a voicemail uh, about the coaching search. Here you go. Hey, Ryan Keeley. Uh, Casey Hayes here from Apple Valley, California. Just a quick question. Um, don't need the specifics. I just want to know, with all your guys' uh, insights, do you think this athletic department has their guy? Um, you know, just do they have their, their new coach, and they're going to wait a little bit, but I don't need names. Like I said, just do you think they have their guy? Um, fight on. Can't wait to hear your guys' answer. Thank you. You want well, to go first? You want to go first? <laughs> we talked about that. I mean, that that would it would be fickle, right? I yeah. mean, I, I don't know when that, that voicemail comes in, but is the, the logic would be that, you know, the deal with fickle sort of in principle had already been done maybe even going into the season, low-key. I mean, obviously the athletic department would never want to admit that they already sort of talking to someone else to be a head coach when, you know, they had a head coach. But they have a relationship with Luke Fickle, um, Mike Bowen and Brandon Sosna. And so, you know, that would uh, certainly – it would go towards thinking that, you know, if they have that guy and it's been quiet, that's the reason it's been quiet because if they've had him and – um, everything else has just been noise, you know, whether, you know, oh, he wants to stay in the Midwest and, you know, his wife's not sure about LA and, you know, can he do this and can he do that? I, I thought it was something that was interesting to speaking on fickle. I know the question is, do we think that they have his guy? I, I, I think there's an argument to be made for that. Actually, that's why I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory. Cause I think there's some, just by how quiet it's been and the fact that they're not using any co- uh, coaching search firms and they're, you know, there's some there's some things to suggest that maybe they already had their guy. Um, something interesting that popped up that you know we added into the uh, the hot board was a former 
Ohio State Buckeyes coach John Cooper. You remember John Cooper, Rose Bowl coach? Yeah. was around uh, early 90s. Uh, John Cooper got some guys away from USC back then, and he made a comment on Luke Fickle in the USC football head coaching candidacy, and he said, quote-unquote, and this was in the LA Times, I keep telling him that Cincinnati is not a destination, that you got to move from there. I spent seven years in the Pac-10, and I personally think Southern Cal is the best coaching job in football. Uh, I've heard people say that Luke may not want to live in California, but to me it's a no-brainer. I would go to Southern Cal in a heartbeat, quote-unquote. So Interesting. That's a pretty, yeah, that's an interesting, you know, coming from a Ohio State Buckeye coach uh, that won a bunch of games at Ohio State, uh, that um, he has that opinion and he's forwarded that opinion to Luke Fickle. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if if they already have a guy, it would suggest it would be Luke Fickle. Um, do I know that for sure or not? No, there has been talk of other guys, and and you know, you would if it was in principle, you would obviously have to have some backup plans and things. So that could also result in in the talk of other coaches, but. I have to say, once again, it's hard to say that anything that we've heard is, is not more booster-based. And, and it, Nobody has come up and said, yeah, the administration is put their feelers out for this specific guy. It's, it's actually Brandon Sosna called or, or this you know, representative of USC called, and it's pretty hard to get that information anyways. But because it's been so quiet from that end that you kind of wonder – you know, is, is this process already kind of come and gone and we're just sort of waiting around? Yeah, I I don't – I've heard some things where you, you think it might have been already decided, um, but I, I just don't quite believe that. So I, I think they're trying to get their best guy, but it's uh, – this is – I mean, this is going to be huge, you know, and we, it's going to be huge. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be, this is interesting though. Sir Eric of Troy has a question kind of following up with this as far as like, what are you hearing? Cause you know, Mike Bowen, Brandon Sosna are, are keeping this as tight lipped as possible, which I think is very professional. It's very different than what we've seen in years past, but there's going to be, when you're not saying much, there's rampant speculation about other things and you hear all kinds of crazy rumors, but I, this is an interesting point. I want to get your thoughts. What Sir Eric of Troy said via text message. He said, why is that uh, whoever Mike Bone is going after as our next head coach must remain a secret from the fans and donors? Uh, I've been a donor for 29 consecutive years now, and I know nothing. Uh, since it's fans, alumni, and donors that Bone will need to su- support from, why can't he openly say who he's hoping to secure for us? When players are courted by professional teams for trades or as free agents, the interested general manager announces the world their interest in that player, and it gives the fans something to hang their hats on. Why is this different? I appreciate all you guys do to keep us informed and give us a place to vent. I'm tired of this current mess, and I'm anxious to have something to look forward to, Sir Eric of Troy. I think it's a little different, Sir Eric of Troy, but, Jordan, get your thoughts on that. Because Luke Fickle is coaching his team to an undefeated season. Shh! That's why! Because only Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna know Luke Fickle. Nobody else does. So nobody else needs to know him. That's the, that's the circle right there. That's why. That's the answer. We figured it out. We know we know what's going to happen now. Yeah. Um, yes, like you said, these other coaches are coaching teams, and the focus they is they have like season. jobs. You know, they they're doing yeah. a job right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not the off season. I mean, when you hear about that with NBA players, NFL players, it tends to be the off season. Um, some of that creeps up during the season as well, but. 
you know, it, yeah, when you're, when you're managing a bunch of personalities and you're trying to motivate and keep focused, a bunch of kids, you know, we're talking about college football. These are a bunch of kids. These are a bunch of very young adults. Um, they don't want to hear how you're about to go and leave, you know, to another school and all of these philosophies and, uh, you know, the best version of yourself or whatever your spiel is, is, you know, all for naught because this guy's on his, you know, way out to LAX sort of thing. So yeah, it, it is definitely apples and oranges from that standpoint. Um, and I think the athletic department is trying to do it quietly out of respect for that, because obviously the coaches themselves, the guys that you're pursuing, that you're trying to court, don't want to have it flying around and have their names uh, mentioned. And again, you I mean, you know, it, it, I, I'd make the joke, but it definitely sort of goes towards if you've got a relationship with one of those guys um, and you're trying to get that guy and you, and you and you want to keep your relationship positive and you know it's going to help you to try to get him to help you at your new job in Southern California, then you don't want to put that guy on blast and say, Hey, you know, we love Luke fickle. He's great. I mean, they haven't said anything about him. You know, there's some obvious things there. There's some obvious things that you could say if you're Mike bone hadn't been at Cincinnati and that process of going after Luke fickle. I mean, there's just facts that are there that you could comment on, but they've said nothing. So that's out of respect to Luke fickle and then the job he's trying to do now at Cincinnati. Uh, they could easily say, hey, man, we love Luke, and uh, of course he would be a top guy for us. He was a top guy coming from Ohio State. Um, he was, you know, the, the obvious choice for us there. It, it worked out. He's the obvious choice for us now. He's going to be our guy. But, you know, that would just put a lot of pressure on him. Now, how much more pressure would it put? Because obviously people kind of already assume that to some extent. Um, but, you know, we're looking at that also from, from this perspective, from the USC perspective, you know, there's people in Cincinnati that are, that are convinced he's not going anywhere. He's not going to leave oh, yeah. he loves Ohio. He's never left Ohio for, for a coaching job. He, he's, you know, and they, and in Baylor, there's people in Waco, Texas that say the same thing. Oh, no way. USC is not a fit. No way. No way. And they're just convinced. And that's the bubble they live in. And, 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 and Luke Fickle and, and Dave Randa and those other coaches can, can work in that bubble. Whereas, you know, if it becomes more of a official thing, sometimes maybe that that causes more issues because oh, USC saying that that, that you're number one guy, and I mean that yeah, but I mean why are they saying that? Why are they, they they being so brazen to talk about you like that? You know, maybe that would put more pressure on them. I don't know. All right, we got one last one uh, about a current player, but you know, you, I know you follow him through the recruiting process. We could talk about him briefly. Hello, everybody. Ron from class of '65, pharmacy school. I have a question. The uh, the information about Brew McCoy has been totally missing. I can't find anything about his current situation. Will it be reinstated? Is he going to be using a year as a red shirt year? Uh, anything anything new on Brew McCoy since he was acquitted? I would sure be interested in knowing about him as well. Thanks, guys. Hope you're having a great day. This is Ron, class of '65. Hey, Ron. Um... Yeah, so it wasn't acquitted, so there was no charges filed uh, against Brew McCoy. The DA decided not to file charges, but there was also a uh, a Title IX investigation that was ongoing. We had talked about this in the war. We talked about it on podcasts and stuff, too, that it seemed very, very unlikely that he would play in 2021 and fairly unlikely that you would see him in a USC uniform ever again. We haven't seen anyone that's had these kinds of accusations 
and this sort of um, investigation going on through the Title IX office ever come out of it uh, and play for USC again. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't hold your breath. Uh, I wouldn't talk about like redshirting or anything like that. Just not even the likelihood of him being seen in a USC uniform doesn't seem uh, very high. But I want to get your thoughts on that, Gerard. Yeah, and to be clear, just from what I've gathered, that's not just an opinion based on the past. I mean, it, it you kind of can state it that way because that's a fact. But even in this particular situation, sources have not been very optimistic uh, about that. And I've heard talk of him transferring and going somewhere else. Um, nothing really substance of that right now, like no specific schools uh, that it seemed like it's an imminent thing. I have also heard on the other side that he really wants to stay at USC. But there's a lot of complications and there's a lot of things going on that make, you know, I think sources at USC just don't seem optimistic about that working out. So we'll see how it shakes out. Um, at this point, it sounds like he's wait and see. And um, there's a bit of a process that has to play out to really know um, what uh, his potential of returning could be. Um, but like I said, for what I've heard, he, he would like to stay, um, even though, you know, obviously the, the coaching staff is going to see some turnover. Um, I would see, think we would see a lot of turnover. I mean, there's a, you know, another question that comes of that that we didn't even get to is talk about Dante Williams, you know, are there other coaches that USC would want to retain, you know, through the process? Um, you know, Brandon Sosno was, was kind of spearheading that turnover on defense when they fired Clancy Pendergast and they brought in, you know, new coaches, new defensive line coach, Vic Soto, new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. People ask me, you know, about Dave Aranda and, and, you know, his relationship with Todd Orlando, because we had heard originally, and this is one of the reasons why and I know I'm taking this off into a, another direction from McCoy, but it's probably pertinent to talk about, you know, Dave Aranda and why he was mentioned originally in the hot board uh, early on when it first, first was launched was because we'd heard from, from a couple really good sources that USC pursued Dave Aranda to be the defensive coordinator before they hired Todd Orlando. And that that was an actual thing that was really happening. Now, Ryan and I both heard this, and we kind of rolled our eyes like, Dave Aranda, he just won a national championship at LSU. Why would you take that sort of lateral step to USC? Like, it is just that, I mean, it just didn't really make sense, but we heard it and, and heard it from a couple of different places and actually even heard it from the coaching side. And that that was a real thing. And that he was actually very close to coming to USC as a defensive coordinator. He got the job to be head coach at Baylor, took that job, obviously. And my speculation was that he maybe then uh, said, hey, you know, if you like what I do in my scheme, there's a guy, Todd Orlando, who does something similar. Now, Todd Orlando, to my knowledge, and I'm, I'm trying to think back because I, I wrote about it, but I don't think Todd Orlando and Dave Aranda have ever been on the same coaching staff together. Um, Todd Orlando followed Dave Aranda at Utah State, but Aranda had left, I think, to Wisconsin at that point. But Orlando liked his scheme so much. And at that point, I think Orlando was more of a 4-3 guy, but he liked what he saw from his scheme so much that he embraced it and decided, Hey, I like this tight front, which is what, you know, Aranda's scheme is called and started running it. 
And so I, I kind of think maybe that that was part of why Tartalando ended up at USC was that, um, you know, Dave Aranda said, hey, you know, there's there's some other guys that kind of do what I do. They might be a good fit. Um, but would, you know, or would Aranda want to keep Tartalando around with that said, you know, we don't know. Um, but they've never actually coached together, to my knowledge. Yeah. So kind of an, I know I was way off topic there, but it kind of put me into that thought of, you know, the, the coaches that would be retained on staff. And obviously, you know, if you're players, because that's going to be a thing. We talk about the porthole. Uh, I like to call it the porthole. Um, it goes in and out. You know, it's a two-way street sort of thing, because there's going to be guys, um, depending on the coach you bring in, that are going to want to weed out some of these happy-to-be-here guys. These guys that are just floating around on scholarship, just hanging out, they're going to want to come in and say, look, if it's the right coach, he's going to look at some of these guys and say, listen, this is, this is it. This is changing. This is, this, you know, accountability is back and your performance matters. And, and that's going to change some opinions on some of the guys that are maybe, you know, used to the Clay Helton era. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting. But like I said, with Brew, sounds like he likes the school. He enjoys USC. Um, but, you know, if a new coach comes in, Maybe that would change as well, too, and that would be another reason why he might not want to be at USC. He may not have that choice ultimately, though. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's quite the show we've got for you today. Um, and we probably just wrap it up. Uh, but great stuff, Gerard. Uh, always good talking to you, and it's great to talk about some football. Yeah. You, oh, by the way, USC plays UCLA this weekend. We didn't even mention that. So we'll just mention that. <laughs> There's a lot I know, and that's you know a, a, a big local recruiting weekend normally for both schools. Uh, it, it's just one of those things. There's a lot. There's a lot going on, and, and with recruiting and the coaching search, there's so much intertwined there, you know. And and so there's not a lot going on with recruiting, like you said, positively. And it wasn't this. Oh, you know, USC could get this guy, get that guy. Listen, you know, you you, you make an announcement of of, of somebody. And, and you get a couple of weeks recruiting the 2000, I'm not going to say that the 2022 class is completely lost. I mean, I think it could still be salvaged, but it's interesting. Like we talked about with the December 5th Cal game and some of these other things going on, whether that's going to be the choice of USC, they want to try to salvage that 22 class by, you know, making announcement or whatever. If they're just like, Hey, you know what? We can't make our announcement because our guy's not ready to make that announcement. And they have somebody waiting in the wings Again, Luke Fickle. So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Um, hour and forty minute podcast, Gerard. I feel like we could go on for another hour and forty minutes. There's so much to cover. There's so much detail and so many things that we could talk about. You know, when it comes to all these candidates and recruiting and the hypotheticals. But hey, hopefully we got a little. We took a chunk out of the questions and the uncertainty of the fan base today. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully you guys all enjoyed that, and we appreciate Gerard. Coming on, I know it sounds like you got some dogs going in the background, George. You probably have some uh, feeding to do or something. I do. Every uh, my sister and uh, my niece and my two nephews they went to the Polar Express to go see Santa Claus oh. this weekend. So I have dogs. Yes, I have the dogs. Nice. So they right. uh, must have had an Amazon package or something came to the door. Well, go take care of the dogs, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, go. We'll see you over on the message boards. Make sure you follow on Twitter at Gmart Live and all of his posts on the Peristyle are pure gold. So you have to go check those out. So for Gerard Martinez, I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll have a live show Thursday night, uh, Tunnel Vision with Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. So Keely and I won't be doing a podcast this week, but we will do the live show. So hope you uh, enjoyed this one, and we hope to see you on Thursday night, and we will talk to you next time.
You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.